This is the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. I am your favorite host of all time, Stephen the Don. Again, I'm back again with more Premier League match day roundup prediction, whatever the term is. I'm back again with Premier League roundup match day number nine. Thank you guys for listening as always and for tuning in into the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Before I go on into straight into the thick of the action, so much action obviously took place. Finally, we're back from that belabored and boring and redundant international break that most of us fans can't stand or really have any time for, to be very honest. But without any further waffle talk, let me get straight into my promo. Let me get straight into the episode. You guys know how it works here. Please make sure to download, to subscribe, to follow, to leave a rating, to also share with everyone that you know that loves football as much as we do on the Stephen Talk Soccer podcast. This is the home of the most controversial takes as well as elite football knowledge. I always say that those two things, they never die. They will continue to live on. They're the heartbeats of this podcast. Uh, obviously, there are many other heartbeats aside from my own that come on to speak about, you know, controversial opinions and also elite ball knowledge. But when I'm doing these episodes that you guys seem to love, then uh, it's the same thing as always. But like I said, make sure to do those things. Make sure, make sure to check out my other episodes because I've made so much content, 83 episodes worth of stuff, which I think is pretty impressive. You know, we've come a long way so far in doing this and clearly it's starting to pick up some traction. Finally at 200 followers on Instagram, which I'm really, really happy about because I remember when I was first studying this at 20 followers and literally texting all my friends, please follow me, please follow me, please follow me. And finally, slowly but surely, things are starting to pick them, themselves up and move in the right direction. And again, the only way from here is up, as we always say, you know, moving onwards, upwards and onwards and forwards. But other thing I wanted to mention, too, is I really appreciate all the love and support that I'm getting. I'm seeing a lot of people, especially with the most recent episode I made about a feature episode on one of my good, one of my really good friends, a brother of mine, you could say, in Paulo Spadaccini, who was also on the episode on the podcast, should I say, last episode. That got a lot of love from a lot of people from literally all across the world, and I'm absolutely extremely delighted with all the the tension and time time you guys are giving towards this it's my craft it's something i'm so passionate about if you know that about me you know that this is what i do um and i couldn't be happier about the outcome and the circumstances of which this steven talk soccer podcast has put me in and and is c- continuing to become and, and do so thank you so much we'll get straight right into the knife and the right into the knife i've never used that expression before i don't even know what that means but right into the knife and fork <laughs> and the plate and the glass the meal of the episode, the real content, the real reason why you're here. Premier League match day number nine just took place. We saw many, many derbies, including the London derby, the Manchester derby. Uh, uh, we saw a, what other derby? We saw a North London derby as well. Many, many big things happened. Let's get straight into the most eye-catching and mouth-watering fixture. It's not City versus United because that game was very, very predictable for me. It was actually Arsenal 3 Tottenham won at the Emirates Stadium. Again, an early morning kickoff, which typically stumps a lot of the big sides, especially when they're playing at home. But it did not seem to stump Arsenal, who have been nothing short of exceptional so far this season. Easily the the best Arsenal team I've seen, both in terms of playing ability, but as well as grinding out results. Probably for the better part of the last four or five or six years now, I'd say since kind of mid to late Wenger. It's been a really, really good time if you're an Arsenal fan. Of course, you know, they've been extremely, extremely well drilled. The team seems to be finding its feet properly, Arteta ball, whatever you want to call it, seeming to work uh, time and time again. Clearly, there's an identity in Arsenal when they play and you know how they're going to dismantle you. But the real question isn't, Spurs couldn't answer this question. Can you guys answer this question? Can they be stopped? Can you understand? You can understand what they're going to do, but can you stop them from doing it? And it was clear yet again in this game that Arsenal are a freight train that are, that's only going to keep going, you know, tr- trudging along and 
and bulldozing over every single team that they come up against week in, week out. It happened again in this 3-1 victory. Nothing short of what they deserved. They were by far the better team, I thought, especially in the second half was kind of Spurs kind of tailed off towards the end, especially with the red card to Emerson Royale, which, I mean, to be very honest with you, even with even when Emerson Royale didn't get sent, even before him getting sent off, Tottenham... Tottenham played with 10 men when he's on the pitch with them. That's, that makes any sense. So him getting sent off is just basically solidifying what he does when even when he's playing and he's not been booked. Uh, I don't think Emerson, Emerson, English, I do not think Emerson Royale is a great player. I'm not someone who's very fond of him. I'm not someone who thinks he's going to be the big starlight of their team, especially in that position. Someone like Jed Spence, who they spent some fair money on, you know, in the summer from Middlesbrough and obviously Nottingham Forest as he was on loan at uh, Forest from Middlesbrough. But it was really... Uh, just, we'll get to the Emerson Royale red card first. Let's kind of rewind. So opening goal of the game comes from Thomas Partey. A very good finish, might I add. You know, player who's clearly obviously had some tricky times, tough times, both on and off the pitch at Arsenal. And uh, he's continued to cement his place in this team and show fans that when he plays, that Arsenal are the best version of themselves. We saw that again in this game with a very, very well-taken sweep strike from the top of the 18. Um, I mean, against the keeper in Lloris, who I, again, another, not not to be on this Tottenham slander today, but I guess that's all they're going to be doing is catching strays. Because Lloris, for me, is not a keeper that should be playing in the Premier League at all anymore. If I have to be honest with you, I, I don't really rate Lloris as of recently. I never really have. I thought Tottenham had a very good backline with the likes of Mertongan and Alderweireld and Cal Walker and uh, Danny Rose. That was a nice, that's one of the best backboards we've seen in the at least in the last 10 years in the Premier League but with Larissa in that I was always like hmm he's a good keeper and yes he won the World Cup good for him but in terms of when I watch him for Spurs I'm always like yeah he has a mistake in him or he has a lapse in concentration in him and again that happened in this case for Thomas Partey to open the scoring for Spurs for Arsenal sorry against Spurs and then 11 minutes later Spurs get a penalty Again, correct decision, in my opinion. It was a penalty. And dispatched by none other than the Mr. Tottenham himself, the guy who loves to score against Arsenal, Harry Kane himself, scoring to make it 1-1 in the North London Derby. We then move on to the second half, of which Arsenal really took the game by the scruff of the neck and just took over by that point. I mean, Gabriel Jesus, only four, four minutes into the second half, had made it 2-1 to the Gunners after some really lovely technical footwork, brilliant individual play, one-on-one play from Bukayo Saka, a player that, again, I keep saying this word, but again, another player that I really rate the highest as many as most Arsenal fans and football fans do, but again, he's continuing to improve and, sh- and shut me up, so fair play to him. He had a very good cameo in this instance to beat his man and get the shot off, which then led the ball to... F- Led for the ball falling. Again, another Lloris mistake, in my opinion. The ball falling to Gabriel Jesus after Lloris was not unable to kind of keep hold of the ball. Jesus stabs it into the back of the net. 2-1 to the Arsenal. And then only, I'd say, 13 minutes later, that's good math, we have Emerson Royale with the straight red card challenge. Lord knows what he was thinking because, I mean, I never know what Emerson Royale is thinking, let alone in this situation. Not a very smart decision, especially when Spurs still had the the game in the balance. They could have still come back and gotten something from it. But as soon as he got sent off, I think we all thought the game was shot. It was over. Uh, there were some fans saying that this game, they would have wanted the red card to be changed to a yellow or not given, the, the red card not to be given, because they wanted the game to still be interesting and still have that bit of you know uncertainty and suspense to it. 
Obviously, if you guys know anything about football or soccer, whatever you call it, it's quite normal that when a player gets sent off in a game, that uh, especially in a big match too, that the game kind of loses its bite, it loses it loses its uh, its spiciness, its its bit of zest that it gets normally when you have eleven v eleven, especially when you're you're playing as the away team and you get a man sent off, all the pressure is on you now. You're gonna look to just not only are you looking to defend naturally because you've conceded and you're losing, but you're also now in a situation where you're playing with ten men, which then forces you by nature collaterally to have to go out of your way and just sit back and soak up pressure. And Spurs, I mean, they weren't able to do that that well because literally five minutes after Emerson Royal gets sent off, we see a goal, again, very well worked from Arsenal, a very typical Arsenal goal, you could say, with the build-up, which found its way to Granite Jacka. Yes, Granite Jacka, the guy who then, who once threw his armband against the ground in disgust to Arsenal fans and basically said, you know, screw you to Arsenal fans, has now been the heartbeat of Arsenal, everything Arsenal, everything great about Arsenal recently. A uh, great goal from Granite Jack, I have to add. Uh, he's been quite a, a rejuvenated and evolved player in recent times. And again, it was shown in this goal, wonderful goal on his left foot, which we expect him to, to be able to at least place it on target. And with Lloris, who, like I said, has had a shocking game, you expect him to score as he did, making it 3-1 for the Gunners. Great result for Arsenal. They continue to be top of the Premier League table, which is not something you can typically say about them. That's not really something you always associate them with. However, it again, it must be mentioned, it must be noted that um, they were well, well, well deserved for their win. And the North London Derby was a game they were all you know frightened about because Spurs obviously have been unbeaten so far this season. But that unbeaten run comes to an end. And Conte's little, you know, his mysterious football that comes to change players and make them better players in, uh, in mysterious ways. Uh, or, you know, not really mysterious because we know he makes his players work hard. But... Just to say that, again, Arsenal were really, really good and they will continue to be so long as they keep playing this football and having this morale and this momentum. So up the, up the Arsenal and up the arse. Uh, that sounds really strange to say. That's, let me not put it in that context. Let's go Gunners. <laughs> uh, moving on to the other big game, which was between Manchester City, or should I call them Erling Braut Holland FC versus Manchester. We will use a term like you guys. Oh, yes. You STS regulars, you know what's coming next. Manchester divided FC. Classic, 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 classic Manchester United. The old United came back in a flash, in a rush of blood moment. It just felt like such a typical derby of recent between Manchester City and Manchester United. Manchester City 6, Manchester United 3. Roy Keane slandering Manchester United. What are we not... When are we not going to see that, you know, on Sky Sports following a United, a big United game, really? I mean, barring against Chelsea, which is guaranteed to finish in a draw. But overall, really, uh, a game of uh, epic proportions. One side of Manchester that was, a, let's say, they've been picking up their form and they've been slowly kind of improving underneath Eric Ten Hag. And the other side of Manchester that's been dominating English football for years now underneath Pep Guardiola. And let's start with the side, the latter, with the Guardiola side of things. Spurs, well, why am I mixing them up? City were absolutely brilliant, especially in that first half. They really just blew United out of the water. From minute one, City looked like scoring a goal immediately. And I put out a tweet. Again, you guys should go follow me on Twitter if you're interested in doing so. The link will be, or the, the at least the username will be, in the description of this episode, but it is also Steve Talks Footy. In other words, Stephen the Don is also there. You'll see me. But I put out this tweet saying that United, or specifically McTominay or Scooby-Doo, 
you know, in a midfield for in a Manchester derby, which it's been clear for years now. And again, I have waxed the lyrical about Scott McTominay, not a player I think that's A, United level, B, should be studying in a game of such high stakes and importance to both sides of Manchester. I don't understand why he keeps playing week in, week out. Yes, I know he brings passion, he brings some drive, but I'm going to be honest. You need a lot more than that to compete with the city, especially in the midfield department. City didn't even ha- City did not even have their DM, and McTominay still got bullied technically and tactically by the city midfield. It just shows you how poor he is at doing what he's supposed to be doing. Again, not trying to come from McTominay's head. I know he's obviously had some decent performances recently for United, hence why he's hence why he's starting. And it's a team that was able to beat uh, Arsenal and United. I think he was in both of them. But however, United. Oh, man, City just tore them a new one. Oh, my days. Literally, Foden scoring in the eighth minute. The goal could have come at least three or four minutes earlier. There were so many chances for City's Chances galore in the first 45 opening exchanges of the match. I thought Manchester City were, you know, at their scintillating best. I was talking to my brother, who you guys have heard, you know, Nari on this podcast before. I was saying to him, this is easily the best team I've ever seen play. Uh, I think the City team with Haaland is genuinely unstoppable. I know they conceded three goals, but I'll get to that in a second. That's credit to United and also due to some poor City defending. However, I will say that this Manchester City team, to, to me, have everything you need to be a good team consistently on a week-to-week basis in the Champions League. This is the best City team I think I've seen. And again, I it's probably down to one player, but I think systematically they're excellent, which they've always been under Guardiola, but especially now. And you have a player like Haaland who doesn't need time to adapt or to really gel to the Premier League. I knew he'd take to, to the Premier League like a duck to water. It was only natural. Um, City scoring with th- three goals from Phil Foden and three goals from Erling Haaland, assisting English, assisting each other within the actions of of uh, each goal. Again, I mean, I won't even go over each goal. Let's just say Foden scored two. I, I mean, one goal that was very well taken, especially that last one to put the dagger to make it six, th- six two at that time. But overall, Haaland. What can I say about Erling Haaland, man? What more can be said about Erling Haaland? I really don't know. I mean, he's a machine. He's the first player in Premier League history to score in three consecutive score hat tricks in three consecutive home matches. That record will never be broken again, by the way. You can I can assure you. He might break his record himself, Haaland, but that will never be broken, at least not anytime soon. Uh Haaland scoring three goals against a very, very porous Manchester United back line. And Ericsson and McTominay pivot, which really didn't give any serious level of solidity for that United back line. They were continuously getting broken down. And yes, I know it's Manchester City. Yes, I know when I talk as a Chelsea fan, you don't know anything, Steven. Watch Chelsea get, get rumped by, by City in a couple of weeks. Fair enough. But what I can tell you with United is they, I tried to identify the problem of which they've done. They've literally signed a DM to cause and to, to disrupt this lack of you know, defensive presence in the midfield in in uh, Casemiro from Real Madrid. But Eric Ten Hag was so set on that lineup that he stuck with it. And he definitely, definitely, definitely suffered the consequences. Because from, like I said, from minute one, City were absolutely dominant. They just took over every element of the game. United had their fair share of moments, against, again, especially towards the second half. Once the game had kind of lost its its, its value, you could say. Um just City were um, excellent. De Bruyne's pass to find Haaland for that second was absolutely brilliant. Haaland's first goal again with the, you know him getting in the air and winning the header like, over really literally nobody because Eriksen was supposed to be marking him and he didn't. I thought Eriksen was shocking defensively, especially positionally. Like when you're playing in that six slash eight stroke eight role, you see it all the time. But the best sixes, the best players are playing that DM or that double pivot. They really need to be cutting out those crosses that come into the box or those those. Uh, What's it called? The transitions that teams try to make when they're looking to counter that six or eight Ericsson McTominay need to be capable of 
retrieving the ball in that position or even simply just stifling the attack. City were able to bypass that midfield on a regular basis, on a 24-7 basis, which led to so many chances being created for them. Because of that, we ended up seeing a situation where United were looking desperate. And I think after Haaland had scored his second, which had made it 3-0 at the time, you knew the game was obviously over. And then Foden scores in, in the 44th minute to make it 4 nothing. A brilliant ball from Erling Haaland, man. I had a fantastic sweeping cross from left to right. Foden at the back stick to make it 4 nothing. And then we go into the second half. We go into the second half. It's 4 nothing for Manchester City. You have Cristiano Ronaldo sitting on the bench. You have Casemiro sitting on the bench. These are two proven, 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 one more time, proven winners. And they still haven't turned to them. Ten Hag still hasn't turned to these guys. Which I thought was a bit shameful because... Surely you want to bring on experienced individuals that you know are going to be able to offer you, you know, the most of the most in the game. Didn't turn to those players, and he did later on. I mean, not Ronaldo, but Casemiro, he did turn to him. But just overall, I mean, a game of, of uh, teams that are clearly golfs in class apart, it's obvious that United are nowhere near Manchester City's level. And after United were able to beat the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool, which, again, we'll get to Liverpool later, is impressive in some part, but at the same time, it's... You look at City, you're like, okay, City's a different beast. This is a different animal. This is a different kettle of fish. We need to be a lot more um, prepared and ready for the real, like, the real test of what Manchester City offer you on a week to week basis. We did see, um, we did see some good moments from United. I have to say that Anthony Gold was nothing short of sheer quality from a player that I've spoken about for years now. I mean, I have his jersey for a reason. If I have your jersey, it's because I think you're very good. And I think there's something in your game that a lot of people may not notice. Obviously, there's players that I have, like I have a Ronaldo jersey as well. Of course, we all know how good Ronaldo is, or at least was in his day. But Anthony, with a wonderful strike, I mean, at least gave some life to United fans, something to cheer about. United fans, most of them left at halftime at the game, or not even after the third or fourth went in, which is literally still during the first half. They all had left and gone back, you know, on their ways to the other side of Manchester. But regardless, um, it was, United just looked so, I don't even know what the word is. I can't really put it into full context. I don't know why. I'm struggling to find my words about how to describe this team. Because they, they do have the pieces and the remnants of a team that can actually be quite good. And if they were to find the right gel of and combination of players, that the United could really devastate most teams they play against. But there's something about the mentality, something toxic about maybe the dressing room or just something. And I know this is only one game against City, so they might go on to win their future games. And fair enough. But I feel like there's still these moments where in big games, United don't fully had that knack. I don't know what it is, but we've seen these capitulations before, not just against City, but against other teams in the Premier League as well. And I feel like something needs to be done about addressing some of the deadwood in the, in the squad or players that need to be revamped. Personally, I know he scored twice, Anthony Martial. He's a great, he's a decent player. Was supposed to be the next Thierry Henry, but we know that's not going to happen. That's more like Mbappe or something. But and Martial for me, Rashford for me, even Sancho, these are guys with names we said for years. Not Sancho that much, but Rashad and Rashford for years at Manchester United. And they've yet to fully, 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 one more time, fully deliver. Uh, when you compare them to the likes of a Bernardo Silva to even, um, what's the name, to uh, Foden at, of, of recent, again, City have such a great system. Even players that are not at their best yet still will perform. I think, by the way, Jack Grealish for me against in this game was absolutely, he was spectacular, involved in everything great that City did. Everything that, every little piece of buildup that needed to be completed and accomplished, Grealish was the right man to execute that final pre-assist, as they call it, or the pre-pre-assist. He was really, really good. I thought Grealish had one of his best games in a City shirt so far, clearly justifying his selection. I thought he was excellent. But the back to the point about Rashford and uh, 
Martial, I just, I, I'm not fully sold. I, I don't know what it is. They, they look like players that get rattled too easily. And I feel like you need mentality monsters in your team. This is something we see with the best, the best of the best, where players that are super, super hungry and, 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 uh, courageous and brave. And yes, we've seen this from, from these United players before, but too many times do we see these lapses in, in confidence and belief from them, which then stifles and stunts their progress on the pitch. It happens way, 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 way too often, way too frequently. Especially against City, which is when you you really expect the players to knock down tools. This is a big game. This is the, one of the biggest games of your season. Manchester City away as a, as a United player is a huge, huge, huge deal. And I, I didn't really see all that full of fight or desire. I saw it from the likes of Anthony, who's a new signing. But Anthony looked very good, which he always does. He's, a, again, a terrific, terrific player. Uh, you saw this in maybe in moments from someone like, can I really pick out anyone else? Like I said, Anthony Martial, of course, scoring twice. He he made sure to give United some sort of belief off of the bench. I mean, the game was far and dusted by then, but still. But anyways, moving on to the, the reason why City conceded three goals. I genuinely believe that this Manuel Kanji guy is going to be a very good player for Manchester City. I don't I know he's obviously a Dortmund player playing for Switzerland. He's excellent for Switzerland in the Euros. And he's done quite well again for City in this game. I know the extent they conceded three times. And I mean, that's partly due to complacency, which happens a lot with City, where they happened to them against Sal- uh, Salzburg Leipzig in the Champions League last season at home. I think it was the same scoreline or 5-3, it might have been. But very similar idea where they go ahead, blow away teams, and all of a sudden they lose that bit of focus, that little bit of uh, full concentration, which I think is only natural when you you blow teams out of the water on a regular basis as City do. Uh, I do think Akanji can be a great player. I'm not a fan of Nathan Ake, and I've never have been and never will be. I think he's good enough to play for City in those odd games, but never a guy I'd rely on. But uh, overall, that's the game. 6-3. City will be happy, of course, and keeping a pace with the the top team in Arsenal in the Premier League in terms of points and also performances, as we know. But uh, big game. And we'll move on to Liverpool 3, Brighton 3. And the, the defending from Liverpool on display in this game was truly, truly abysmal. It was really, really bad. And they had the likes of Van Disney and company playing in the back. Not Vincent and company, but company meaning other likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, who got spun and got literally torn to shreds and bits to pieces by the likes of Leandro Trossard and the rest of the Brighton attack, which we know is extremely fluid and very good at creating chances out of nothing. Liverpool defensively have been quite poor. Liverpool period have been bad for some time this season. And I mean, I've seen many Liverpool fans and accounts and people and big Liverpool people saying, you know, it might be time for Klopp to go. It might be time for, you know, a real tactician more than just a motivator is what they're saying. And I think Klopp is great with tactics, but I can see why they'd say that. I think Klopp's game plan is being found out by nearly every team Liverpool play against now. And therefore that sense of, of, uh, surprise and element of, um, what's the word? Uh, just, yeah, I guess surprise and, and, um, unknowingness, if that's a word, doesn't exist. That, that mysterious playing style that people or, or play or team, should I say, we're trying to counteract and combat against Liverpool has become more and more found out with time. And now that we see that Liverpool have been continuously struggling against nearly every team they play against, they're, they're finding ways to kind of shut on all of the Liverpool's, uh, biggest outlets and creators for goals. Mohamed Salah had to be honest. I know he scored in this game. I believe he did. Uh, did he score? I don't even remember if he did or not. But regardless, I don't think he's been the player that we expected him to be. It's clear that losing Sadio Mane is a much bigger deal than we were making it out to be. And obviously as well, their midfield, as I'm going to mention, 
uh, I'm sorry, and I should mention rather is that it just it needs a lot more balance than it has. Losing Vinaldum and not replacing him correctly has clearly been an issue. Something they suffer from Liverpool, which is that lack of midfield balance. When Fabinho doesn't play, for example, or even when he does, and it, they don't have the right partnering partnering partners for him, it shows in their playing style, and they just lack that bit of full you know, cohesion and, and symmetry in the, in the lineup, in the team. And Klopp can only do so much as to, you know, simply send some players out there and hope for the best at this point. Because I said, Liverpool have, yes, they, they did well to come back into the game. And I, I will give them credit for that. But against Brighton at home, you'd expect Liverpool to do something, you know. But, uh, again, hopefully and maybe things will change for the better. Who knows? But that's kind of my spiel on them for that sense of the, you know, especially the opening couple of minutes of the game. I wasn't even able to fully catch this game, to be very honest. And that's partly because I uh, was so focused on other matches, you know, the Chelsea game at the time. And obviously, you guys know me, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I was keeping close on that fixture. But even the Southampton game, I was looking up with Everton, which we'll get to later this episode. But this Liverpool 3 at Brighton 3, Brighton had a lead of 2-0 going into halftime, I believe. I mean, goals from two players who I've I've said many times before is one of the best players in the Premier League on his day. I really do believe that. I think he's quite, quite, quite good. There's a couple of guys I'll mention, you know, honorable mentions of the, of the, the Premier League match day nine. And again, he's been good for some time out, Brighton. Whether that's, uh, you know, this season or last season, he's or even the season before, he's been really, really good, which is Leandro Trossard, a very good player. There's something about Belgians in the Premier League that I just love. First, obviously, I love Eden Hazard at Chelsea. De Bruyne at City, I'm a huge fan of his. I mean, who wouldn't be? He's one of the best ever. And then you have Leandro Trossard. It's the same thing. So I wouldn't say he's one of the best ever, you know, as of yet. That might be too far of a stretch. However, against Liverpool, he played like one of the best. He was excellent in, you know, scoring those very instinctive one-on-one finishes with the goalkeeper. And he made Allison look like a rookie, I'll be honest, because some of those finishes on a different day, Allison makes those saves. But Trossard was just really in his bag, in his element, firing form, was only going to score goals when he got into those positions, as he did. Again, four minutes into the game, Liverpool go down one nothing. Trossard getting in, find his way into the box. Very lovely finish on his left foot. He's extremely ambipedal. And ambipedal, ambipedal, ambipedal players, as we know, are special players. They have an ability that most wingers won't possess, which is that unpredictability of shooting and, and dribbling with both your left and your right foot. And again, Trossard doing so. Then only 13 minutes later, Trossard making it uh, 2 nothing, And then um, the game got interesting because, of course, Liverpool were pegged back. And then Firmino was able to get himself on the score sheet to have the deficit. For Liverpool, again, good finish from Firmino. Really lovely feat from a player that's really been hit or miss with Liverpool fans and also in his own career at Liverpool. Obviously, he was rumored to leave in the summer. A uh, player that I think has bags of quality but doesn't really get to show it all the time with this new Klopp system and lack of midfield balance that they're clearly struggling with, which is a common trend amongst the, the bad teams. or the not Liverpool are not a bad team, but teams that are struggling versus teams that are consistently excelling. Uh, Liverpool then scored a second goal in the second half through Roberto Firmino again to make it 2 2 to level the scoring. Another good goal from Bobby Firmino again, Mr. Reliable for Liverpool when you need him, even though he's been ghosting in and out of the team and been replaced by Darren Nunez and even Origi at some point last when he was there last season. And again, as well as uh, Diogo Jota, the Firmino comes up, stepped up from Liverpool, making it 2 2. And then it was made 3 2 for Liverpool. And then this is the 63rd minute, this is. Nine minutes after Firmino had, had equalized for Liverpool. An own goal from Adam Webster. Very, very, very fortuitous goal for Liverpool. I'll be honest. They didn't really fully deserve that. That was kind of the you know the luck of the draw playing at Anfield, really. 
And then, in the 83rd minute, to cap off his hat-trick and to make Roberto De Zerbi on his first match of being Brighton manager go into absolute delirium, Leandro Trossard takes home the match ball and makes it 3-3 with another brilliant finish and clinical goal scoring from Leandro Trossard. He's just that guy. You guys have seen him do the binoculars. I'm doing the celebration right now. The two hands on over his eyes like he's wearing some, some I think it's like glasses or something. Really good finish from Trossard again. And they're just putting that dagger into Liverpool. They went up and thinking, okay, we can see the game out now, which Liverpool often do at home. But Brighton and, and Trossard said, no, 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 not today. Today is not that day. We are going to stop you, Liverpool. And Brighton put the, again, like they've done many times, put another dent in Liverpool's, or chink, or chink in Liverpool's armor and kind of let them know that, you know, we're here to fight and we're here to play. We're not going to just roll over and be a bottom 10 team in the Premier League, which we're used to being, you know, underneath Chris Hewton, for example. But moving on. Uh, to the final game before we move on to the other fixtures, which I'll kind of run through. This final game was the London Derby. The London Derby in London, obviously, at Selhurst Park. Chelsea 2, Crystal Palace 1, but say the other way around. Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 2. Uh, again, another very, very cagey affair from Chelsea. Still learning, still trying to find their feet and find their way underneath Graham Potter. A very good result for Chelsea, might add, to finally pick up a win in what feels like forever because we haven't seen, or I haven't seen Chelsea play, or us Chelsea fans haven't seen Chelsea play in, in what feels like forever, like Palace as well. Uh, goal, the goal scoring started with Edson Edward for, for Crystal Palace, a, a really delicious pass from Andre. He was a really good ball. Split open the whole Chelsea defense after some really poor defending and, and just overall play from Wesley Fofana in the opening 5-10 minutes of the game. He was struggling clearly. And then Edson Edouard, a player again, who I've liked for some time now, I use him in a career mode with Sassuolo. If you know, you know. Uh, you wouldn't know that, but you know I like Edson Edouard rather. And a good finish from him to make it one nothing for Crystal Palace, who really, really were a difficult team for Chelsea to beat and are often very good at home, Palace. They're not a team that just, again, just will just be brushed aside and kind of just told you're not good enough today and let the bigger side win. A good goal from him. Chelsea definitely did put up the fight, and they really did improve Chelsea once they went behind. And for me as a Chelsea fan, there's really early signs of a team that's not going to let a one-goal deficit or even a two-goal deficit. We'll see. But a one- or two-goal deficit stop us from being effective. I've been a Chelsea fan for years now, nearly a decade, if not a decade. And I can tell you just how many times I've maybe count on two, my two hands how many times I've seen Chelsea come back from, from behind in a convincing fashion and really give that fight to come back into a game. We did it again in this match, and maybe that can be the 10th time, or maybe we'll switch to two hands and then another one hand on its own to make 11. But the point is, is I thought Chelsea bounced back really well in this game. I didn't think any player p- played particularly well. I thought some players were quite shocking. I mean, that gave an example of J5 coming off in the in the like 60th minute or whatever it was. It was a very telling of just how bad Potter also knew and how much we knew how bad the midfield was playing. Kovacic as well was quite poor, I thought. I thought he didn't really offer that much to Chelsea. Uh, Midfield-wise, we're getting one over by the likes of Elise and Eze and, and Zaha and even Dukure. These guys were, and, and the likes of Andre Ayu was causing problems 24-7, all 90 minutes long, or however long he's on the pitch. But a really good performance in terms of the, the mentality, which I'm starting to like a lot more of those players who are not looking to give up after being put behind. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a striker that I absolutely adore, and I keep saying it's about players that we have that I mentioned, but genuinely true. I have his jersey for a reason. I watched him again at Santa Etienne. I knew him coming to Chelsea it was a bit of a question mark for a lot of fans, not for me personally. However long he stays at Chelsea, I know he's going to bang because that's firstly what ex Arsenal players do at Chelsea; they do well, and secondly, he's a proven goal scorer. And I know it's only one game, one goal. Yes, I'm aware, 
But I'm telling you, this is a sign of things to come. He doesn't need many chances as people think he does. He's quite a clinical player. He's been known to bag on a consistent basis wherever he's gone. Does it again with a really, as people are saying, Drogba-esque swivel and turn finish to make it 1-1 for the Blues heading into halftime. And let me move on to the second half, which was really just 40, 40 minutes of, or 40, let's say 41, 42 minutes of absolute nonsense and ir- irrelevant football let's be real i mean the game didn't have that many moments palace had some chances to go on and make it uh 2-1 for them great chance for zaha obviously great chance great chance for someone else i think it was Eze who nearly got onto a ball from zaha but other than that the game didn't really have that many spectacular moments in the second half what was spectacular however was the wonder strike that we saw from former crystal palace player on loan last season their player of the season Conor gallagher Conor gallagher what an absolute screamer this was. I watched this ball go in and I couldn't stop screaming. I'm still screaming to this very second. Ah, as I was, you know, a couple of days ago, watching this go into the back of the net, nestle the top corner. Raheem Sterling had celebrated before the ball had even gone in. Just showed you how wonderful the strike was. He knew that was going to go. That was goal bound. Even the the, uh, the fans behind the goal for Crystal Palace, which I thought was interesting. They were like all putting their hands behind their head or on top of their head, knowing that the ball was going to go in as it, was, it left his foot. Gallagher probably knew too. That's and he didn't celebrate. And again, fair play. He was being respectful, and I actually I honored that because Palace were so good to him last year, and he was their best player for a reason. He played nearly every game. But it's really just let me go back to the goal. It was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant play from Chelsea. I watched the build a play to the goal. Very good link up with Fafana, and then uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek to then find uh, Christian Pulisic on the left, who then does a little great dribble. And by the way, he's looks sl- whisper it quietly, but he might slowly start becoming back to the Pulisic I used to somewhat appreciate at Dortmund in early days of Chelsea. Great pass, a great little trickle, little dribble to find Conor Gallagher, who just lashed that into the back of the net. And if he can keep doing that for Chelsea. You can expect more big things for them coming off the bench and having some sort of, because the two substitutes literally combined, the three of them, actually Loftus-Cheek and then Pulisic and Gallagher, all of them finding a way to get the ball to the main man. Gallagher wrapping it into the net, a strike we've seen before, and we know that's in his locker. We know Gallagher can shoot. We've always said this. It's something he's more than capable of. All he needs to get that opportunity and to be played higher up the pitch. For so long, Gallagher, not for so long, but for Tuchel, so that felt like forever because Tuchel football felt like it was never going to, you know, the game was so... Um, dead and and uh what's the word it had very many lulls in in it rather and with gallagher playing in a pivot we saw just how how uh ineffective and 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 harmful he was to the team when he played in that position now that he's playing further and higher up the pitch underneath graham potter it's clear that you know when he gets that room in that space he can be very dangerous he's a goal scorer He's known for giving you a creative outlet from going forward. Not, not, not necessarily in his playmaking or playing those line-breaking passes, but he will give you many, many shots from outside the box and that opportunity to go ahead with one of his, you know, his various farages forward, uh, you know, with his goal-scoring instincts and Lampard-esque-ness. You can kind of quote for the fact that he loves to come late into the box and score goals. But when we come back from the break, we'll be looking at all the other fixtures very, very briefly. I'll touch on each of them quite in rapid succession when we return. Starting off with Fulham 1, Newcastle 4 at the cottage, Craven Cottage. <laughs> I predicted that this game would finish 2-1 to Fulham, I think. And it ended up finishing 4-1 to Newcastle. I said that Mitrovic would score for Fulham and against Newcastle, his former club. And he ended up getting injured and not scoring. But you guys want to check out my predictions. They're all going to be on TikTok as well at STSFC, which is now the 
the name, the name for everywhere that I am on social media. But however, it was not to be Fulham's day as they got absolutely annihilated by Newcastle, a team who again looked very good and have looked very good underneath Eddie Howe for at least since the beginning of the season. They've been quite impressive. Callum Wilson scoring, which again was almost inevitable. As soon as he comes back from injury, which is again every two or three games he gets injured, but when he comes back from injury, he's back on the score sheet as always. A little cheeky tap into again his name back on the on the, the in the books of golds. And then you had Miguel Amiron, who I think I'm going to say it now. A spoiler alert: this is my goal of the episode, or the goal of the of the episode, or the goal of the match day, or whatever goal of the week. Miguel Amiron with, again, arguably one of the greatest strikes I think I've seen since. I wasn't even alive to see this goal, but the Van Basten goal that Van Basten scored in the World Cup, I believe, really just a, a ridiculous volley. I don't even know how, how he would manage to, you know, get the, the, the physics of this for the ball to go in, but <laughs> he left the, the keeper, the Fulham keeper, Burnt Leno, with absolutely no chance of saving that. And it just, it made it more, more, more comical to me. I mean, it didn't help that literally in the eighth minute, Fulham went down to 10 men as well after, you know, uh, Chalaba, Nathaniel Chalaba, that is not Trevor, or Trevor. Nathaniel Chalaba gets sent off. Again, correct decision, a very rash and, and needless tackle, petulant tackle from Chalaba, which ultimately ruined the game in uh, for Fulham. And it only meant that Fulham were trying to do damage control, which didn't work, obviously, because Miguel Amiron scored a screamer. And then he scored again in the second half. And then between that, we had a goal from Sean Longstaff. And if Sean Longstaff is scoring against you, you know the game's over. You know it's going to be a long day. So by the time, it's 3 nothing for for after the Longstaff goal. It's 3 nothing for Newcastle. And then we go into the second half. It becomes 4 nothing for Newcastle after Miguel Amiron and then scores again. And then we move on to the last second of the game, which a goal from Bobby de Cordova Reed. Fantastic goal from Reed. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just saying because he's Jamaican. You know, I gotta show some love to my people, but not really. It was just a, a goal from Bobby Reed, making it uh a less of an embarrassing scoreline for Newcastle. Or sorry, for Fulham, Newcastle four, Fulham one. And uh that's all she wrote for this fixture. Moving on now to the next games. Let's look at the other ones. We got Southampton 1, Everton 2. I did say Everton would win this game. I predicted Everton, Everton to win 1 nothing. Again, a game of two teams that are still trying to find their full, full balance. I will be honest. I will say this now. Hot take of the episode. Hot take. You guys can clip this up. I think Lampard is proving to be the better manager, in, at least in the Premier League, than Gerard, maybe even just in general. I think Lampard is with Everton looks like a very, 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 very competent manager. Finally, he's finding his level. He's starting to match with Everton are wanting. I know it's still too, too, too soon to make such a bold claim, but I can see what Lampard's trying to do. There's still frailties. There's still some question marks, which is normal. First of all, it's Everton, which is known as Titanic FC on this episode, on this podcast. If you guys didn't know that already, which means they keep sinking and, you know, and finding ways to kind of topple over when they're about to become afloat. Or vice versa, being afloat and then toppling over into the water like the Titanic. Uh, cue the music. <laughs> I'm kidding. I won't play it again. You guys have heard it many times. But um, just to say that I was really impressed with everything's performance, their graph and ability to come back from a one-goal deficit. After Joe Aribo had opened the scoring for the Saints. Again, Joe Aribo, who's played in many, many five- or seven-sided fixtures in England. If you guys haven't seen him on YouTube, you guys can check that out. He plays with a lot of the YouTubers I follow, and the soccer YouTubers I follow and watch. He's very technical, very, very good with his feet. He's excellent in tight spaces, was in this situation as well, was able to find the bottom corner with a typical Joe Rebo left-footed strike, making one nothing for the Saints. 
only for three minutes later, Connor Cody making it 1-1 for Everton. And, you know, he seems to be loving every life at Everton immediately. Like, he's dropped into the system and he's revolutionized this Everton backline and Lampard system. It really looks like a, a very, very good signing from Everton, which is not surprising because Connor Cody is actually a decent defender. He was at Wolves, who've now sacked their manager. We will get to them. But Connor Cody makes it 1-1 three minutes later. And then Dwight M- McNeely, Sean Dice football, came to, the, came to the St. Mary Stadium to Lampard and Dwight McNeil coming onto the pitch. Dwight McNeil scoring... Again, a very typical left-footed goal finish. I don't know what it is about lefties when there's this near-post wanking shot with it, like Lucas Podolski against Bayern Munich if you're for Arsenal. If you know, you know. The same thing, similar idea having for Dwight McNeil here, lashing it into the top corner, absolutely ripping up the uh, the netting on uh, Bazunu's goal. Great keeper, but can't really do much about that. Great goal from Dwight McNeil. 2-1 to Everton. Big win for them. They continue to have that balance in that midfield, which makes them such a stable and formidable team they have such a great blend of players in a squad and Lampard is clearly finding his way with Everton which is beautiful to see for football fans England fans and Chelsea fans obviously because you know he's Chelsea's greatest ever player you could argue and uh yeah we'll move on to Bournemouth versus Brentford Bournemouth nil Brentford nil I believe there should have been a penalty in this game for Jordan Zamora he was clearly fouled by Christopher I don't know how this wasn't given, but the refereeing in England doesn't... I mean, it's to be expected at this point. You know how bad the refereeing is at this its juncture in time. Uh, this game wasn't really that... It wasn't that memorable, I'll be honest. There was, again, some chances for, uh, for, for Brentford to go ahead as well. They had their four shots on target to Bournemouth's one. They had more possession, more passes, more pass accuracy, higher pass accuracy, all of the above. But the point is they weren't able to find the back of the net. The most important stat on the, the stat sheet... Brentford did create chances and they did have those, you know, the man, the main man himself, the hat trick hero from last uh, couple of weeks ago. Ivan Tony, uh, they did, if I look for that outlet on the left side of uh, their attack, the right side of, of Bournemouth's defense, it wasn't to be as Brentford had, were able to, or sorry, Bournemouth were able to stifle and kind of stop Brentford's attack and barrage or onslaught of attacks. Finishing, f- finishing nil nil. Very, very forgettable game. We'll move on. Moving on to the likes of of you know, nothing's gonna get interesting west ham two wolves nil this was a really good game of football now this this is a game i thought would finish nil nil and be boring and be dull and be dead and be lifeless have no have no significance to the premier league you know table or you know the season but this is a memorable game by far for many reasons i mean we saw the first goal for Gianluca scamacca the uh, striker from sassuolo who was signed in the summer for west ham he gets his second start in the Premier League for West Ham, scores his first goal. It was a very good finish, might I add. I love these volleys. I absolutely, if you guys don't know me, I absolutely, that's why I'm giving Miguel Amir in that, that award for the goal of the week. This could have been up there as well. This is easily a contender. This was a fantastic goal from Gianluca Scamacca. Really just a, a, nothing short of pure brilliance on this volley and this technique, left leaving the keeper with no chance. And then in the second half, Jared Bowen, a player that I knew and I've said for some time now, he will get to become the, the player we expected him to be, or continue to expect him to be this season. He's not really hit his form and hit his stride yet. I mean, his finger got dislocated. That might have been a sign of bad things to come. <laughs> but he was able to kind of tough it up and just keep playing on. So nice to see him soldier on and also score an absolutely rasping, you know, bullet of a strike to make a 2 nothing classic Bowen goal. Really, David Moy said it at post-match as well that it's a really typical Jared goal, which is just tells you everything you need to know. You know, ball falls to him in a very random location in the box and he just shoots on shoots on it on a half volley first time strike which by the way is one of Bowen's specialties he's very good at that making it to nothing for West Ham Wolves had their chances they definitely did 
Um, overall, Wolves weren't even that bad, really. But West Ham were simply more impressive and better on the day. Declan Rice also had a very good game, which isn't saying much because Rice is a very good player. Most times that he plays, unfortunately for West Ham, in my opinion, because I think he'd be doing much better than a different team. <coughs> cough, cough, Chelsea. But uh, we'll move on. 2 nothing for West Ham versus Wolves. And then we have the next game, which is Leeds nil, Aston Villa nil. Now, this was also a very interesting game, a very high-scoring nil-nil game, as they say. Chances on both sides, especially Villa, who had seven shots on target, two Leeds is one. Obviously, Leeds were put down to 10 men. Another red card in this game as well to Sinistera, which, again, I agree with the decision. I thought it was a bit petulant and and naive from Sinistera, obviously still new to the Premier League. And he's been pretty good for, for Leeds, you know, both in the cup competitions, scoring goals there and as well in the Premier League. Also, however, this when you whenever you get sent off in any game of football, unless you have the most elite mentality, level of quality in your squad, best coaching, best tactics, it's very rare you're going to get more than a point from the game, or if anything, you probably lose it. You're not going to win it unless you know it's happened before, but on the odd occasions in the Premier League. But most times, when you go when you go to ten men, you really dig a big you really dig a big hole for yourself, such as what Leeds ended up doing in this game to themselves, shooting themselves in the foot. Overall, Leeds weren't even that bad. They did have their chances. And I thought Patrick Bamford, when he came on, was fairly impressive. I really enjoyed the game from his, you know, from his lens and what he was able to do. We're looking at what he was able to, to contribute off the bench. I also like Brendan Aronson. I think he's an absolute baller. I mean, a young American. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not American, so I don't really have that strong connection saying, oh, one of my own. But he, you know, he's from North America, so shout out to him. He was also very good in his moments. He was able to bring Leeds up the pitch when they needed to. From a Leeds perspective, this is a decent draw, I'll be honest, because Villa have actually not been that bad. You know, picking up uh, four points are a good good result against uh, Manchester City and likewise against Ast- uh, Aston Villa, sorry, against Southampton, I believe, who Aston Villa played last, if I'm not mistaken. Aston Villa, yeah. And overall, a very good game of football. I mean, it was interesting and very entertaining. Melia had to make many saves. He was keeping Leeds in the game over and over again. Ollie Watkins, I don't know what you're doing, my my guy, my buddy, because you should have scored at least three times in this match with the amount of chances you were getting. Your XG must have been extremely high, and you weren't able to convert. Something like Brighton now. And uh, <laughs> jokes aside, but uh, Aston Villa just they played that same, you know, through pass, that same incisive ball to the, again, the, the, their left wing, Leeds' right side, where Rasmus Christensen was playing and before being replaced by Luke Ayling later in the game. But really just, again, they created so many opportunities, Villa. Really a, a boatload of chances, then that same same pattern of play and never able to bear any fruit. Again, that's due, partly due to some great goalkeeping from a very good keeper, young keeper in Melia, who he knows quality on his day. And he's had some shockers as well, but he's young. And then... You have Villa with some shocking, 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 one more shocking, shocking, shocking goal, uh, finishing and, and, uh, and goal scoring ability in the game. Really should have been, they should have been out of sight. They had 19 shots in the game, 19 shots, seven on target in the game, Villa, and they couldn't score one. It was really, wow, it was truly, truly, truly embarrassing from that perspective. But anyways, moving on to the last game of the, of the match week, which just took place only, just took place only about an hour ago, finished just now about an hour ago. Lee Leicester City for Nottingham Forest nil. I did protect I, I did predict that Leicester would win, not by this big margin that they were able to, but there's only one name I'm gonna say, and he's also again, spoiler alert, but I will get to that. He is my player of the my player of the week by far. I think he's I think he's one of the best players in the Premier League. I've said this many times. A lot of people disagree with that. That might be a controversial take. I think he's better than Mason Mount. I, I don't know why Garrett Southgate hasn't chosen him to be in his 11. I think he's, he's what England actually are missing in a lot of their fixtures. 
If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's number 10 that plays for the, for the Foxes. His, he goes by the name of James Madison. For me, he's one of the most graceful players I've seen play. I absolutely adore this guy. He's, again, I love his, his autograph, whatever. If it's something like I'm fanboying like crazy right now, and I'm sorry, but I really just, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about him. I think he's such a, such a, such a fantastic, such a, such a, such a, sound like a DJ or like, you know, mixing the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the turntable disc. But anyways, he's such a fantastic football player. James Madison is, and again, the way he took those both his goals today, and he's involved in everything Lester did, literally everything. He scored the first goal, he assisted the second, or helped assist the second, pre-assisted the second, scored the third goal, and set up the fourth goal. What more can you ask of Madison? It's a 10 out of 10 performance in my book. I thought he was brilliant, and he was, again, involved in everything brilliant about Leicester. And I mean, Madison, if you don't watch him, you should be watching him, because he really is uh, what the Premier League is all about, you know, sheer quality on a 24-7, I keep saying 24-7, on a 90-minute game basis. He, he does it week in, week out, um, I, I I can't really think of any other superlatives to give Madison. I think he's really, really a gifted footballer. The free kick he took is testament to just how technically gifted he is. I don't think that someone like a Mason Mount, I mean, we saw what Mason Mount can do with his uh, terrible free kick that he took from inside the box and somehow didn't even hit the target. I don't know how he managed to do that. But anyways, uh, Madison with a wonderful free kick. And uh, again, just open, you know, really just letting Leicester run riot after that went in. The game really opened up for them. Leicester fans are going crazy and backing their club to no end, which is beautiful because they've been shocking, really, really atrocious the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks in the Premier League. But Madison, again, just, oh, man. Oh, what I, what, you know, honestly, I'd love to watch him in, in real life. I, I, I really think that this guy, he's uh, really, really up there. You know, he's still fairly young, too. And I feel like a big move for him would really set him to the, send him, set him and send him to the level he deserves to be at. I see Madison. There's actually a clip I came off from this game. And you guys probably will see it where he sets up a, a brilliant cross for a Leicester player in the first half. And then once the Leicester player misses the net, the camera veers back to Madison, who's like shaking his head and like, you know, and, and obviously hands on head in frustration, which is something I've seen from him for some time now, which is normal because Leicester are not that great of a team, at least collectively. They have some great individuals like Harvey Bonds, who also scored. But um, Madison, man, wow, what a player. 4 nothing for Leicester, big win for Leicester City. For Nottingham Forest, this is yet another, again, disastrous, disastrous display. Uh, Steve Cooper, his time might be running short. Oh, by the way, speaking of which time running short, should let me mention this about the Wolves manager. Bruno Log is no longer Wolves manager. We'll see what happens with him. I mean, where he end up next and who Wolves might bring in. Apparently, they were looking at uh, Thomas Tuchel from Chelsea. So <laughs> that'd be funny to see him at Wolves. I mean, he'd be linking up with former Chelsea striker Diego Costa, who did make his debut in that game. And again, was actually fairly good for Wolves, but uh, wasn't enough, like I said before. But back to the Leicester game. Pats and Daka making it 4 nothing for Leicester City. You can see Madison and Daka do the same celebration together, which is kind of nice. It's a very wholesome moment. Overall, very good win for Leicester City. And now when we come back from the break, we'll be looking at the assist of the week and the fraud of the week. And that will be that for today. And now, ladies and gentlemen, on to the assist of the week. I think it's fairly obvious who this has to go to. I mean, I could say this about him literally every time he gets an assist, which is feeling like every week that he plays nowadays in Kevin De Bruyne. But the pass that De Bruyne played to Haaland, I thought that was really, that was, again, a gem of that little curling ball that him and Cancelo love to play. Really, really something special. I always have to gawk at it whenever. I always have to be in, in awe when I see that little, kind of cute little dink pass over the defense. 
wonderfully weighted. Haaland was only ever gonna was only ever gonna miss that unless the pass was overhead. But you know how great De Bruyne is with his WOP, as I call it, the weighted passes. Pristine, wonderful pass to clip over the heads of the United defenders. I think it's Lisandro Martinez, and then Varane, who obviously yes, I know he's injured, so I won't really you know slander him too much. But I don't really feel like he was in that moment. He looked pretty fit to me prior to that goal going in and him being injured uh, before that as well. But then Holland with the simple finish, really, just simply asked to put it into the back of the net. Like the Bruno literally puts it on you for, puts it on a platter. He puts it on a plate for you. Says, "Here's your knife and fork. Here's your napkin. You know, here's your here's your glass of water. Here's your your glass of wine. Go on, cut the meat, cut the steak, cut. You know, have some mashed potatoes, have some sauce, have some gravy, have some vegetables. Enjoy the meal because that's literally what uh, what De Bruyne did for Holland. I mean, Holland is special beast himself. He would have scored that anyways, even if the pass had gone to him. Uh, 20 meters ahead. I know I just, I know I just contradicted myself. You probably caught me doing that too, but I just, I just can't get out of my head that you have two of the, arguably two of the best players that we're going to see in the Premier League for some time playing on the same team. And it just was shown in that brilliant, brilliant pass from De Bruyne to Mr. Holland, who again is tearing up the Premier League week in, week out. And I'm worried about every team in the Premier League. I really am because they, they can't stop. There's no, there's nobody that can stop this guy. He, he's Mr. Inevitable for a reason. Anyways, that's enough city, city appreciation. I'm not a city fan. Moving on to the fraud of the week. That's, 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 that's fraud! I mean, there's many frauds. Let's be honest. There's actually many, many frauds. Uh, it could be Wolves, who I've, I rarely ever speak about. Uh, it could be Fulham. Um, I think I want to go with the likes of an Aston Villa. And the reason why I want to do that is because I have to highlight that Aston Villa have way too many good players in their team to not be... I mean, they have such high quality in, in important areas of the field where you score goals and they never score enough chances. I don't know what it is about Villain struggling in front of the net, but it's been a trend we've seen for some time. I keep seeing that expression, but for a while now. And it was also happening last year and it's happening again this season. I don't know what it is because they have such quality in Brendia and Coutinho and Watkins and Danny Ings and Bailey, you know, Jacob Ramsey. Like, what more? The list goes on. These guys are very good, very, very talented players. And you could argue that on different teams, these guys individually would really, really kill it where they go, wherever they are, you know. But for Villa to go to Leeds, which, again, is a tough place to go to because Leeds do make it difficult with their fans and with all that energy and that hype and that, that, that just sheer... Um, enthusiasm and exuberance that they always play with. But I just thought Villa really should have put uh, Leeds to the sword. And for them to leave uh, Allen Road with only a point from without, with, with the amount of chances they created, I thought was really, really poor and a bit fraudulent, you can add. That's hence why they're the frauds of the week. But that is that, ladies and gentlemen, for Premier League match day number nine roundup. I, it is I, I, it is I, wow, it's crazy. I have been your host, Stephen the Don. Thank you guys for listening. As always, if you reached this late in the episode, I really appreciate you. Uh, welcome to the Don Squad. You know, come and pick up a jersey number. Make sure to leave a rating, to subscribe, to follow. I am literally on every platform you can think of. Also, shout out on on Podium. That's the website that you know that I have now set up. Shout out those, shout out those guys and Ginteras as well. Real, real G for putting me on into the website. You guys can check it out. It's in the link is in my Instagram bio. You'll see it there. I'll put it other places too. All my episodes are going to be there. And, you know, there's even a comment section. You guys can, you know, say your thoughts and suggestions as well as leaving a, you know, a, a review of the podcast as well, which would be massively appreciated if you'd like to go do that. Um, what else I want to add? That is it for now. Again, more content coming as always that the, you know, the, uh, the never ending 
assembly line of content or factory line, whatever you want to call it, continues to run on. So thank you guys for supporting. We will be back again shortly. More content. Everything about series is continuing. A rescue mission is coming as well. Oh, man, it's going to get beautiful in the Steven Talk Soccer Podcast. Obviously, the, the World Cup is looming large in the background. Big, 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 big things planned for the future. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for now. It has been I, your favorite host, the one and only, the Don. I'll see you soon. Hey, everyone. Are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.